The account of the crucifixion continues in Matthew chapter 27. It says, And they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled him to carry his cross. When they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put a charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down here from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land, until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, Lema sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. One of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly this was the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. <coughs> and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. <coughs> Excuse me. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. Well, I, I don't know if you've ever had in your life someone who maybe threatened you or made you very uncomfortable to the point where you had to uh, maybe block them. Maybe it was on Facebook or maybe it was on your phone where the communication just got to such a level where it was maybe threatening or just annoying where you just had to kind of cut off communication. Well, when the church first opened, uh, we were trying to save money, and so my cell phone number was the church number. And this wasn't really a problem for church people, uh, but it was a listed number, and it was online, and so I would get a lot of different calls. Uh, I'd get calls from, you know, just telemarketers and anyone who was just kind of going through the list of businesses um, who just, you know, just call for all different sorts of things. I remember one guy called... And uh, he told me this story about how he had been in the hospital and some things had happened um, and was asking for my money. 
And I told them, you know, we're a small church. We're just kind of starting out. We don't really have money to give out, uh, but we could get you some food. I said, okay. Uh, so I go to the store. I get, get a, a bag full of food, uh, drive it to the place where he was. Uh, took my dad with me just for some backup. And I got there, and just everything just felt weird. Everything felt off. It was this kind of rundown hotel, and, and it had this feeling, it, it this, my kind of discernment antennas went up, and it just kind of felt like everything was kind of staged. Uh, like he, he had this work uniform on, that he, and he really wanted to show me that he was working, and he had this bracelet that he wanted to show me and prove that he was in the hospital. You know, and everything just, it didn't make sense, and it, it just felt really weird, but, you know, we gave him the food, and, um, you know, thought that was the end of it. And, of course, when we were leaving, he, he asked for money again, you know, and it, once again, you know, explained we, you know, we just don't have money to give out. So I thought that was the end of it. So then he keeps calling and calling and calling. Sometimes I think he forgot that he had called me before. And I would go through the same thing again, explain to him, we, we just don't have money to give out. You know, and, you know, sometimes he would get mad the one time he hung up on me. But then he would call again. And I'm like, okay, I just, I just got to block, block this guy's phone number. And he just keeps calling. I keep explaining it to him. He doesn't get it. So I block his phone number. Somehow he was still able to leave me a message. And so he leaves me this kind of angry, menacing message. It's like, it seems like you blocked me. I don't know why you'd block me. I'm like, all right, it's not a big deal. So then a while after that, I get a call from him again. It's a different phone number. And then every couple of months, I would just keep getting phone calls from him with different numbers. And he had this super distinctive voice that I could pick out from anybody. So it got to a point where it's just as soon as I would hear his voice, I would just hang up the phone because I had explained it to him over and over again. And it wasn't accomplishing anything. All that was happening was he's just getting more and more angry. I don't know if you've ever had something like that happen to you. Maybe it was an ex-spouse. Maybe it was uh, someone who was trying to sell something to you. Um, could be a host of different things where you just kind of had to cut off communication or you had to block someone. And uh, it might surprise you to know that in the scriptures it says, essentially, there's a sense in which God has blocked humanity. If you don't believe me, consider some of the following verses. Psalm 66, 18 says this, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Proverbs 28, 9 says, If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. John 9, 31 says, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. And so the scriptures declare that we're all sinners, we're all fallen short of the glory of God, and there's a sense in which God has kind of stiff-armed humanity, that there's kind of a wedge between us and between God, and, and there's a sense in which God doesn't hear sinners. The book, uh, Why Prayers Are Unanswered, uh, John Lavender retold the story of uh, Norman Vincent Peale's childhood. And when he was a boy, he found this cigar, and he goes to this alleyway, and he's smoking this cigar. And his father comes up, 
and of course he doesn't want his father to know that he's smoking a cigar and so he gets nervous and he sees this sign for a circus he says dad look at the sign look at the sign kind of trying to divert his attention there's a circus coming to town can we go to the circus can we go to the circus and his his father responded this way he said son Never make a petition while at the same time trying to hide a smoldering disobedience. Never make a petition while at the same time trying to hide a smoldering disobedience. And I think that's what humanity has often done. Humanity as a whole has kind of gone astray. We've gone our own way. Each of us have turned to our own ways. We followed after other gods. And yet, when we need something, we come to God, the true God. When we need our marriage fixed, we come to God. When we need some help financially, we come to God. When we need God to help us figure out a problem, we come to him, but our hearts are far from him. And to God, that's an abomination. But we do know in Scripture, it says that God hears the righteous man. And we know one righteous man who lived on this earth, Jesus Christ. We know that John the Baptist baptized Jesus. And when John the Baptist baptized him, God the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. We know that Jesus had a perfect, intimate relationship with the Father. We know that he often snuck away from the other disciples, that he would go up on a mountaintop often early in the morning and spend time talking to his Heavenly Father. We know that Jesus had this perfect love relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, kind of like a family, the first family. A family where everyone always gets along. Family when there's no where there's no disagreements. Where everyone's heard and understood. And we know that God heard the cries of Jesus. God heard the prayers of Christ. When Jesus prayed, things happened. When Jesus prayed, mountains could be moved. When Jesus prayed, he could multiply loaves and fishes. He could walk on water. Jesus was heard by God, except for in one moment. There's one moment when Jesus wasn't heard by God. And that moment was when he was on the cross. On the cross, as he's nearing his last breath, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the context of, he's actually quoting from Psalm 22, a psalm of David. And in, this, in that context, David is actually asking God, why don't you hear my cry? Look at what it says in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. So I think essentially what Jesus is saying on the cross is, God, why don't you hear me? Why don't you see the fact that I'm suffering? Why don't you do something? Mark Gailey, Eleanor Stump put it this way. How are we to understand Jesus' cry of dereliction? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Along with the desperate prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, pleading with God, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Here's the question. Many mere mortals have managed to face death, death with more composure than Jesus did. Stephen, for example, just months later, Jesus knew he'd rise from the dead, so why all the anguish? In his ordeal on the cross, Christ mind reads the mental states found in all the evil human acts human beings have ever committed. Every vile, shocking, disgusting, revolting, revolting, uh, revolting 
psychic state accompanying every human evil act will meticulously be all at once in the human psyche of Christ. Without yielding an evil configuration, either Christ's intellect or will, such psychic agony would greatly eclipse all other human psychological suffering. Blooded with such horror, Christ might well lose entirely his ability to find the mind of God the Father. That drives home the suffering of Christ, a suffering so comprehensively horrible that it surpasses even the physical abuse of crucifixion. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way. For our sake he made him sin who knew no sin. Jesus became sin for us and experienced the wrath of the Father. And in those moments he experienced the fate of an evildoer. The fate of a criminal. In those moments God wasn't hearing his cries. God didn't answer his prayer. And I think this is the most mind-blowing reality in all of scripture and i never really understood fully what it was like until i had a child myself my son paul has had uh, several life-threatening allergic reactions and here's something i'll tell you in those moments when he was struggling i heard his cries in those moments when he needed me the most all of my attention was his it didn't matter who was calling, didn't matter what was happening on the news, it didn't matter anything that was happening in my life or any of the people lives of the people around me. All that mattered was my son needed me. And I was there for him. But here, in Jesus' darkest moment, Father turns away. Father doesn't hear his cries. Think about that. He did it for you. He did it for me. I can't even fathom that kind of love, the love that would turn aside from his very own son. If I were in that situation, I would turn aside from everyone else for my son, but he turns aside from his son for everyone else. People who would, weren't interested in him, people who followed after other gods, people who would rather go their own way, and yet God chose to love us and Jesus chose to die for us for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life Romans 8 31 to 32 says what shall we say to these things if God is for us then who can be against us he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also graciously give us all things truth is, I don't think we really have a conception of the love of God. I don't think we can even grasp or comprehend even a fraction of the love of God. In Psalm 103, verse 11, David wrote this. He said, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. His love as high as the heavens are above the earth. Now, David didn't know exactly how high the heavens were. We don't actually either, but we know a little bit more than David did. Sam Storms shares a little bit about this in his book, uh, A Dozen Things God Did With Your Sin. Consider a light year. The amount of time that light travels in a year. Light travels at 100 and. 
86,000 miles per second. You multiply that by 60, you have a light minute. Multiply it by 60, you have a light hour. Multiply it by uh, uh, 24, you have a light day. By 65, you have a light year. The light you can travel uh, in one year is 6 trillion miles. 6 followed by 12 zeros in one year. That's the equivalent of 12,000 trips to the moon. If you, let's say you were traveling in an airplane, you're traveling at you know, a decent speed, 500 miles per hour, and you were going nonstop 24 hours a day, it would take you three weeks to arrive at the moon. If you're going to the sun, it would take you much more time. The sun is 93 million miles away from the earth, it would take you 21 years to get there. If you wanted to reach Pluto, the dwarf planet farthest away in our solar system, if you traveled nonstop, 24 hours a day, 500 miles per hour, it would take you 900 years. The Hubble's telescope has given us pictures of a galaxy 13 billion light years from the Earth. That galaxy, the farthest galaxy that we can see, is 78 sextillion miles from the Earth, 78 followed by 21 zeros. If you're traveling at a 500 miles per hour nonstop, 52 weeks a year, without pausing at all, you would reach that galaxy in 20 quadrillion years, 20 followed by 15 zeros. And that would just get us to the farthest point that we can see. Astronomers estimate that there are 2 trillion galaxies just in the observable universe that we can see. David says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so is the earth. Great is your steadfast love. We can't fathom, we can't even comprehend the love of God for us. And we see the love of God poured out on Good Friday at the cross. And we see the love of God is poured out in a very specific direction. First, we know that the cross means forgiveness of sins for those who trust in Jesus. But it's also deeper than that. It's not just forgiveness of sins for the sake of being forgiven. Forgiven. It's being forgiven for the sake of a relationship. The good news of Good Friday is we can have a relationship with the Father. That those who believe in Christ could become a part of the family, that we can become sons and daughters of God. John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. And God's love poured out for us gives, the ability, gives us the ability to have a relationship with God that's close and intimate like a child has with their parents. It's described in Galatians chapter 4, 4-7. Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God's, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Believers in Jesus, we have access to the Father. We have the ability to cry out to him, Abba, Father. And God listens to us as he listened to his own son. As he listens to Jesus. And we see that on Good Friday, the reason that God didn't listen to Jesus' cries was so that he might listen to ours. 
He didn't listen to Jesus so that he might listen to our cries. Because of Good Friday, those of us who are believers in Christ were adopted into the family of God. God is our Father. We think about that. We think about the fact that God is our Father. And some of us have had really good fathers. Fathers who've cared for us, loved us, protected us. And that, if that's the case, then you know, we can see that image of our earthly father. And we, we know all earthly fathers have flaws. But that image of our earthly father can point us to our perfect heavenly father. Some of us maybe didn't have a good father. Maybe we had fathers who did the opposite of what a good father does. Maybe rather than protect us, they abused us. Maybe they abandoned us. Maybe they just checked out. And if that's you, God can be the father to you that you always wanted and never had. God is a father who always loves us, always cares for us, always protects us. A father who's promised he'll never leave us, never forsake us. The fact that God is our father, that we can be children, called children of God, should transform our identity. That we could have that close relationship with him, that we can cry out, Abba, Father. And it should encourage us in, in three directions. It should transform us in that being children of God should help us to rest in God, should make our hearts rest. As believers in Jesus, we can trust that God has our best interests in mind. That anything that happens to us is for our good and for his glory. Satan, what he'll try to do is he'll try to get, he'll see, you know, he'll show us troubles in our life, trials that happen, and say, if God loved you, then why would he allow this to happen? Fill in the blank. And God will, Satan will come and do that, and he'll try to, to get us to doubt the faithfulness of God. And if we buy into that lie, then he has us right where he wants us. But we know the truth. We know that God is faithful, that God is true. And we need to look to the cross, because if God didn't spare his own son, if he chose, consider him sin, to send him to die for us. Is there anything that he would withhold from us? If he gave us his greatest possession, his very own son, we can have the assurance that he won't allow anything in our life that's ultimately going to harm us. And we can rest in him knowing that he's got it all figured out. As believers in Christ, we have the great hope of knowing that in the end, it's going to be okay. And we all have different challenges in our lives. I can't say that you know, it's going to turn out well for each and every one of those circumstances. But what we can say as believers, what we can hold on to is in the end, God is going to use it for good. In the end, God's going to give us grace and difficulty. And in the end, God is going to bring beauty out of ashes. And so if God is our Father, if we're children of God, we can rest knowing that he cares for us, knowing that he'll provide for us, knowing that he'll never leave us or forsake us. The second thing is children of uh, being children of God should make our hearts trust. Children know where to go to find help. Uh, in her book, A Field Guide to Getting Lost, Rebecca Solnit tells the story of her friend Sally, who was part of a search and rescue team in the Rocky Mountains. They were looking for a young boy who I think was 11 years old, and he was deaf and also partially blind. 
they were playing a game of hide, of hide and seek, and he kind of snuck away, and then they couldn't find him. And he had this whistle that they had given him for just such an occasion, and, but he was actually right near a stream, and there was a lot of noise from the water, and he couldn't hear that, so nobody could hear the whistle that he was blowing. So he stayed outside all night long, and then in the morning he got up, and he just started blowing that whistle, blowing that whistle. And eventually he found him. And he was a little bit cold, but he was fine. And what's interesting is that uh, usually um, if someone gets lost, children are actually more likely to be found than adults. And the reason that children are more likely to be found is because children know that they're lost. They know that they need someone to lead them out, to lead them to, lead them to safety. So usually when children get lost, they tend to kind of stay where they're at or not to wander very far. They're just waiting for help to arrive. But if an adult gets lost, you know, they're going through the woods trying to find a path and, you know, maybe running off a cliff, just trying to do it their own way. In the same way, if we're children of the Father, we need to trust in the Father. We need to realize our resources aren't enough. We need to realize we need Him in our life. We need him to intervene if we're going to do anything of eternal significance. There was, once a, there was once a boy and a father were walking down the road, and the boy saw a large boulder. He said, Dad, do you think if I tried with all of my strength, do you think I could lift that boulder? The father said, sure, I know that you could. So the little boy, he just struggled with all of his might trying to move that stone and move that stone and he couldn't even budget an inch after trying for 15 minutes he finally gave up and he said dad you lied i can't do it can't move the stone father put his arm around him and said no son you didn't use all of your strength you didn't ask me to help Being children of God should make our hearts trust in the Father. Knowing we can't do it on our own. Knowing that we're always dependent upon Him each and every day. But finally, being children of God should make us delight in prayer. Consider the price that was paid so that we could have a relationship with God. Consider the price that was paid so that we could cry out, Abba, Father. When my brother was in college, he did a semester uh, over in Tanzania, Africa. And the internet access was very spotty there. He would have to go to like a internet cafe. Um, the phone calls were really expensive and it wasn't really easy to, to have a lot of communication. So we would have, you know, go maybe weeks without hearing from him. But then when he called or when we saw him instant messaging, it was like he, he got all of our attention. It's like, Michael's calling. Because we knew how valuable that communication was. We knew we couldn't just call him anytime we wanted to. So we cherished that communication because it's costly. Consider how much it cost for us to have a relationship with God. It cost the Son of God his very blood, his very life. So as children of God, we should delight in the fact that we can talk to him. We can cry out to him any time, day or night, that we have that close, personal relationship 
We don't have to go to church or a temple to feel the presence of God, to cry out to him. We can cry out to him in our time of need, no matter what we're experiencing. And we never have to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he'll never forsake us. So we have that relationship and we can delight in prayer because we're children of God. My prayer for us today on Good Friday is the same prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, 14 to 19, that we would know the incredible knowledge and love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. As we look to the cross today, as we remember Good Friday, as we partake of communion together, may we experience and know the love of Christ. May we rejoice in the fact that he's made us sons and daughters. And as we rejoice in that fact that we're children of God, may it move us, may it transform us to rest in the Father, to trust in the Father, and to delight in our communication with the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. Love that goes beyond reason or comprehension. A love that by human standards makes no sense at all. That you would turn your back on your son out of love for us. It doesn't make any sense. And yet we're grateful. We're grateful for your love for us. We're grateful that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And Lord, most of all, we're thankful for those of us who have trusted in you, we're your children. That we can trust in you. We can rest in you. We can talk to you anytime, day or night, knowing that you're there for us. Knowing that you care for us. Knowing that you'll answer us. Knowing that you'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. You'll never forget about us. Lord, help this truth to transform our lives and our hearts. In Christ's name I pray.